Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, May 11th, and today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 61, the last paragraph, our actor is self-centered, egocentric, and we'll be reading through the second paragraph, ending with made decision based on self. The first paragraph will be read for context, and the comments will be focused on the second paragraph. The reference number for Tuesday, May 10th, is 8728. Our readers are Chelsea H., Mary K.W., and Linda R. Away Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps. Uh, star 1 to unmute Esther. Okay. Esther F. I can do that. This is I'm, okay. I'm sorry, it's Esther. I was having a hard time unmuting. Uh, okay, thank you, Esther. Okay. Um, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were, enti- we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, stopped through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Esther S. I will now ask Barbara N. to read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, Julie. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Barbara N. in New York, compulsive overeater, recovered just for today. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on, upon OA unity. <clears throat> Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group, conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara N. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 61, the last paragraph, and reading through the second paragraph. Our comments will be focused on the second paragraph. The first paragraph will be read for context only. I will now ask Chelsea H. to begin reading. Thank you for your service, Julie. Hi, I'm Chelsea H., recovered compulsive eater, living in the solution one day at a time. Our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He is like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter complaining of the sad state of the nation. 
the minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave, the outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him, and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity? Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Okay, still Chelsea, recovered just for today. So, um, oh, let me set my timer. So, for me here, this is the um, bridge that I talk about, step three being for me, that's going to connect me to the action part of the program. So, I'll come to these conclusions, learning about myself, that I'm screwed, and then I'm having hope that, the uh, power of the steps will be able to help me, like the individual who's walking me through the process. They've been changed, so I'm in hopeful that if I keep moving forward with the rest of the work. So this part here will activate for me the change that needs to be done to me. It'll activate me getting into action. So I've made a decision, come to a conclusion, and accepting that this is what I'm going to need to do, and then taking action on it, because it um, allows me to decide to open up myself to be available for spiritual energy. I don't know what that'll be, what it'll look like, but at the root of my troubles is selfishness and self-centeredness, not food. Food is nowhere in the equation. It has to do with the problem of living. And on um, page 27, here in the book, it talks about how um, ideas, emotions, and attitudes that are um, the driving forces of my life that are inappropriate, as a result of the steps, I can get a shift in thinking. I can get a psychic change sufficient enough so that I'm not resorting to selfishness and self-centeredness. So I make a decision to be turned, to be turned. I can't do it. I haven't been able to do it. But there are spiritual resources that will be able to turn me from being self-centered to be other-centered. And then at that point, I'll practice. I'll practice living in that new space. I won't get up and be full of delusion. And if I am, or if I'm self-seeking or pity those traits that come up when we get into that fourth column of the work, I'll have a new skill set that I'll be able to turn to. That's the promise of the program. Now, at this point, you don't know all of that. It's just laying out for me so that I can be convinced that I need to move on with the rest of the work to have that experience sufficient enough so that when things crop up, when I have to live, I'll be able to live being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And that is something that will require practice, diligence, willingness, open-mindedness, honesty, all those things that will come into play, and taking responsibility and not allowing self to be the driving force in my life. I'll get a shift in thinking, and the new driving force in my life will dominate my thinking. It says a new set of conceptions will dominate my thinking, not fear, 
not selfishness and self-centeredness. I'll be other-centered at that time. Thanks for letting me share, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Chelsea H. And who would like to share on this paragraph? Charles, this is Bella. Okay, okay. So I have Charles. Hold on a second. I have Charles. I have Sally. Sally. I have um, Bella. Katie. Katie D. Um, before Chris. Katie, who who was before Katie? Christy. Kim G. Christy. Tina oh, S. G. Okay, hold on. Kim G. Katie G. Uh, I believe there was a Tina. Tina. Melissa C. Melissa. Okay, we're going to start off with Charles, Sally, Bella, Kim G, Katie G, Tina S, and Melissa C. So go ahead, Charles. Thank you, Julie, for your service. You're a great referee. If I ever get in a fight, I need you to have my back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Charles H., uh, recovered compulsive over here just for today. So I just want to drill out. There's so much here, but I want to, you know, I know everybody's going to do such a great uh, job taking this uh, this spiritual meat apart. Um, so I, I want to drill down on where it says, um, we find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. And and I'm I'm in a position to sponsor you out there. I want to I want to make an event for for making decisions. Based on me, I want to I want to make it a bench for not wanting to call you, not calling anyone else for you. I want to make it a bench, and I want to give an illustration. I want to make an amend to my sponsor for for not putting everything down the first time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the middle, my my point here is going to be in the middle, making decisions, putting myself in the middle, like I'm that important. Um. So I was, you know, going through the doc's opinion with a few people this week, and I got a, a few more schedules. I'm grateful for it. Um, so green, green on one side, red on one side. Ain't no such thing as yellow. Um, so, and that reminds me of page 58, 59, half measures avail us nothing. Um, page 25, there's no middle of the road solution. But I, but, but I thought I was in the middle. I thought I was the center of everything, the center of the universe. And and I was like, man, I went through these. Uh, and this may sound familiar. I don't know if anybody ever heard. Y'all never heard that. Y'all ain't really in OA, uh, the two percent OA. I'm just joking. But have you ever heard? Oh man, I went through all the steps and I still ain't got no spiritual awakening. You know why? For me, I'm, I'm for me, I didn't. I, I I thought it was a lurking notion. Um, I was on that yellow, follow the yellow big road. You know, had all them. Them, them trigger foods that I didn't want to give away, like just being in the middle. So I made decisions based on self, right? But but when 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 me and my uh, my sponsor had to had to come to tears in my eyes, just like in Virginia Beach with the ketchup and the juice, right? When I gave those up, I got off that yellow brick road and I started um I started doing what y'all done did. I said, you know what? Them people ain't crazy. There is life without ketchup. Life without orange juice. Come on, there's something else, right? And it's always it's always based on self for me, right? And I love this. This is how it works. When I get off the middle and just stay stay in my lane, man. And right, even with even with people. I love people. I may not agree with a lot of people and a lot of people may not agree with me, but I'm not the center of the universe. So that's my little piece and I hope I left a little half half a uh, minute on the clock. And with that I pass. Thank you, Julie. 
Thank you, Charles. And Sally A., you're next. Thank you, Julie. And good morning, edition for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. Just going to turn on my little timer here. I love the way the big book uh, sort of overlaps in the presenting of the steps. It's the magic of the steps because it really is a magical process of these 12 steps. And I find it interesting that we are here and we're looking at these paragraphs that that are all about the paradigm shift that has to occur. And this paradigm shift of our thinking that has to occur, it begins at the beginning. It doesn't begin at step four when we get to that last column and we're looking at where was I selfish, where was I self-seeking, where was I fearful, full of fear, and where was I uh, dishonest. It begins here. It begins at the very beginning of the book. It begins, it's everywhere. So they're presenting with us to us these 12 steps and they are, while they are presented in order, there is an overlapping. We see that on the next page, they're going to be giving us, we are now on step three, but what are we doing here? What are we doing on the bottom of 61 and 62? They're talking about the thinking that goes behind, goes behind our eating. This is, to me, what they're talking about. They're setting me up for that paradigm shift that's going to take place. At the top of page 62 where it says, the outlaw safe cracker who thinks society has wronged him and goes and gives us all these, and then it says, and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. It's all the behind the scenes, the mental thinking that goes behind the action. And so for those who who might be coming and stepping into this meeting and thinking, what are we talking about here? I want to tell you that we've heard this expression, all action is born in thought. My eating is born in my thinking. Long before I pick up the bite of the food that is not on my food plan, it all started with what was going on in my head. And they're talking about that. They're talking about the thinking that goes on behind the action of the bite of the food. And that's what I love about this program. That's what I love about OA. That's why I've been here so long. Because I always knew it wasn't about just getting on a right diet. I wish it could have been that simple, but it wasn't for me. It was always about getting to the root of the root of what I was eating over. And that's what we're looking at here. It's all about me and my stinking thinking, my sick thinking, my selfish, my self-centered, my self-self-self. That's what this is all about. And that's what we're, we're moving into that direction to help us understand that it's all about what's going on in our head that's leading us to what we're doing. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you, Sally A. And Bella G., you're next. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Self-centeredness. Yes, this is for sure the root of my problems. You know, before... Before the program, I I I wasn't aware that I am that centeredness. You know, I was I lived in a confusion. I didn't trust myself. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think that I can give something to the community, to the to the society. From the other hand, 
I was a people pleaser. I was I was always busy doing what other people would will would want me to do. And I was angry, jealous, upset and disappointed. You know, I I I I was always angry and I ran to the food. The food was the only and only thing that I wasn't in competition with. You know, the food was my friend. You know, now that, thank you, God, I live in the 12 steps, and I am connected to a higher power, to a loving power, I understand that, yes, I was self-centered. I was thinking only about me and myself. I was thinking only, I was the only one in this world. My life was based on fears. You know, if I will not do what people want, if I will not accept their their things, thank you, God. Thank you, God, I am not there anymore. And today I trust myself and I believe in myself and I trust you too. And I, do, and I know that we are all human. There is no perfect. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And Kim G., you're next, and then Katie G. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that, we think, is the root of our troubles. You know, I remember hearing, you know, selfishness, self-centered. It, sometimes it was hard for me because I felt like I suffered from low self-esteem. I'm always doing what other people want. It's, that's not my problem. And when someone describes this, think of it more this way, Kim. They're self-absorbed. Ooh, that hit me between the eyes. Because whether I was thinking well of myself or poorly of myself, I was thinking about myself. And in a 24-hour day, 23 of those hours, I was thinking about me. And that other hour, I was thinking about what you think about me. How can I live free if I'm so self-absorbed? You remember years ago seeing this cartoon where there's a woman on the beach and she's got a little bubble above her head. All these women are walking by and she's laying on the beach and she's like, oh my God, what are people thinking of my size? And in the next little, um, whatever that next frame, you see bubbles above everyone else's heads going, oh my God, I wonder what people are thinking about my size. Because we're all self-absorbed. We can't see outside of ourselves. So maybe today, you know, think about that. Maybe pause throughout the day and think how much of that last two hours, that last three hours, you were thinking about you. Because that's what it means to be selfish and self-centered. I remember a friend telling me, you know what, Kim, the fact is in life, 20% of the people in life are going to like you, 20% of the people in life aren't going to like you, and the 60, other, other 60% don't really give a crap. Hey, that is freedom. That is freedom. I thought everything was about me. And what is this saying? It's the root of our trouble. Well, where are roots? Roots are underneath the ground. They're covered up. So what are we making a decision to? We're making a decision to uncover those roots. How do we do that? How do we unbury them? In four through nine, we learn a skill set, and we learn to dig up those roots. And how do they stay unburied? By living a life of spiritual practice in 10 and 11. There's an American Indian practice I think about a lot. It talks about the fact that every morning we wake up to two wolves. One is the wolf of self and one is the wolf of spirit. And every day I wake up, I have to think, which wolf am I going to feed today? 
Because being recovered doesn't mean that life isn't going to happen. Being recovered means when I'm upset, when I'm fearful, when I become selfish because I'm a human being, I now have a skill set to employ to be free. So each morning as I ask myself, which wolf am I going to feed? I also ask myself that question, how free do I want to be? Because when I am in self, I am in bondage. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Katie G., you're next. Hey, Julie, can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Good morning, Julie. Thank you for your service. Let me get my timer going. Good morning, everyone. Katie G., recovered <clears throat> compulsive reader, anorexic, and bulimic. And um, love hearing this, love hearing everybody. Two concepts I just really wanted to quickly talk about. Um, I didn't understand at some point in the past, we made decisions based on self, with late, which later placed us in a position to be hurt, be hurt. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay, so I didn't. So basically, for me, that meant for a very long time, and I can still struggle with this, I operate from this fear that I'm not good enough, right? So I go into the world. I go into my day. I'm not good enough. So somebody makes a face at me, go screw. They might be having gas, but go screw because I can tell. I can read your mind. You're not being nice to me, so I snub them, okay? And then I work with them every day, and I snub them, and I snub them, and I snub them. Not because they're doing anything, but because my perception starts with a fear. I'm not good enough. I interpret everything you do as, as validating, confirming that I'm not good enough. And then later on, that person is snubbing me. So I place myself in a position to be hurt. That person's snubbing me, and then I've got a doozy of a resentment because I'm like, who do you think you are? I'm Katie G. I've been kind, patient, tall. And then I look back and say, wait a second. Let it begin with me. How have I been behaving? And the other thing I didn't cognitively get was why fear was self-centered. I was like, I'm just a little girl. Like, I grew up in a bad household. I'm a scared little person. But so, and, and fear is my chief activator, and I'm recovered but not cured. So I still have fear, right? So when I'm afraid, okay, so I'm afraid I'm going to be abandoned, right? So my, my fiancé goes on a trip, and he's not communicating with me on my terms. Oh, my gosh. So I interpret his communication as meaning that somehow I'm not important anymore. This is self-centered fear. Like, just as somebody just pointed out, I, uh, there's that line, I may not be much, but I'm, I'm all I think about. Like, people don't live their lives thinking about the KDG show, but I fundamentally believe they do. So the difference between before and now is that I have this knowledge, right? So when the fear comes up, and it does, because I'm a human being, and more significantly for this meeting, I am an addict. I am a selfish addict, and I obsess. I have a choice, and I had that choice last night, and I was like, okay, so I can interpret this as me, or I can choose to go to God, and that is an active choice for me every single day. You know, willingness, I get to do things differently when I take the action. I don't all of a sudden get struck willing. I get willingness when I take action, and I'm going to be willing, God willing, to do this one more day with you guys, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. And Tina S., you're next. Thanks, Julie, for your service. Tina asked, compulsive reader, anorexic in Florida. Wow, I heard some really, really good things. I'm grateful to be online. Um, and it just tells me what my troubles are, you know, and it's me. 
it's always been me. And, you know, I try to get things my own way. You know? and, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm going to run you over to get it to turn out the way that I would like, you know. And then it says, and then, you know, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. You know, I step on the toes of my fellows. Yeah, and they want to retaliate, of course. They're going to get even, you know. And, and you know, it says sometimes we get hurt, you know. That's when I don't get my way. I'm hurt when it's all about me and I don't get what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. You know, it's seemingly without provocation. I didn't do nothing. It was all you, you know. But invariably, always, you know, always, I find that I make decisions based on self, and it places myself, and it places me in a position to be hurt. You know, you know the difference today. You know, it's I try to invite God in these things, and I am not perfect by any means. You know, and I get God's direction. You know, I have an opportunity to set things right when, when I'm being that actor running the show. You know, doing things on self-will. And, uh, you know, that's the good news today, you know, and I love what it says in the AA 12 and 12 of the 10 stuff. It's a spiritual axiom. You know, there's no doubt with the axiom that when I'm disturbed, it's, it's all right here. And, and that's the good news today. It never was before. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. And Melissa C., you're next. Melissa C. Star, one to unmute. Hi, it's Melissa C. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Hi, good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. You're recovered. Compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, when I think about um, my roots, you know, that the root of my trouble is um, selfishness, self-pity, fear. Um, you know, I think about roots and how that's like what holds me in place. You know, the roots are what ground me, what keeps me in, in in my position. And it's where I draw, you know, my nourishment from. It's where I get everything from. And so when that's fear, you know, yeah, it's no accident then that I couldn't, that I could keep food down because I was terrified. My nourishment wasn't coming from anything other than me, than myself, what I wasn't getting, how life wasn't fair for me, um, you know, and um, it's really sometimes I have to really think hard about separating what's self-pity, what is self-pity, because, you know, um, I, when you've suffered, like I've suffered, and, you know, and I say this with a little snarkiness, um, but that's, you know, that was my experience. I suffered some really painful losses. And so I felt um, I was entitled to feel sorry for myself. And, you know, part of my learning, my discovery, is that grief is different from self-pity. You know, grief actually invites other people in to comfort you. When I was living in self-pity, um, nothing anybody could do could alleviate my pain. It was too big for, for one person. And so everybody let me down. You know, I felt let down by everybody in my life, from my mother to my husband to my sister to my best friend, um, because there was only self there. It was just me. And, um, you know, and part of 
working my program of recovery is letting go of my right, you know, however entitled I feel to be afraid and sorry for myself, that was getting me nowhere, you know, and so you have to change, I have to change everything. It wasn't just, okay, Melissa, now follow this food plan. Okay, Melissa, now follow, you know, don't eat sugar. You know, that did me nothing. What I really needed to follow was um, the release of myself, to stop feeling so sorry for myself and have a little bit of acceptance. Bad, you know, bad stuff happened. Um, now turn the page, you know, what next? And, um, that's been allowing myself to not feel so entitled to fear and um, and self-pity has really been the turning point for me. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Larry? Chrissy M. Chrissy Nessa M. R. M. Nessa R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Who, uh, I didn't catch the Suji. Suji. Rachel W. Rachel W. Okay, so let's start with Larry K. and then Chrissy M. Can I have the page number, please? Page 62. Paragraph starting with selfishness. Good morning. Uh, Julie, thanks for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, I, I, don't, um, I don't eat the way I used to eat anymore for a long, long time because I've changed. This program has changed me. I've moved from a, a, a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. God changed me. I don't know what you have or what you will have. I know that God has changed me as the result of these action steps. I can't tell you why. I can tell you I, I'm not deserving of it. Um, but, you know, there was this merciful God that I believe, there was a merciful God that changed me as a result of these steps. I moved from being that self-centered person to, to a God-centered consciousness, an, an other-centered consciousness. Um, and, you know, th- th- this whole notion, I, I think of, I don't know why, but I think of therapy. You know, it's a, it's a world I live in a bit. And, you know, why, why doesn't therapy work for some people? Well, because I think in some cases, um, based on my experience now, because we continue to be, um, as some have talked about, self-absorbed. And, you know, this process for me, I didn't become unself-absorbed, if, if you will, to use that term because I fought my way through becoming unself-absorbed. There's no thinking your way through, through that. doesn't matter, like Kim said, doesn't matter where your self-esteem is. You know, you, we still are self-absorbed until through this process, for me, it changed me from no longer becoming self-absorbed. This process of actions, not thinking and contemplation, and more self-absorbing analysis of me, um, those other two people, myself and I, that wasn't what did it. What did it was this process, these actions that resulted in a change. I didn't change myself, for after all, I wanted to change myself. Therapy 
you know, more analysis about me might change me, but it didn't for me. It gave me good insight. It was interesting. It fed my curiosity, but it didn't change me. That's the only reason. There's no secret I have that I don't binge my brains out through life when it happens on life terms. I don't binge my brains out anymore because God has changed me as a result of these actions. That's it. And I'm thankful for that. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Chrissy M., you're next. Hi, I'm Chrissy. <laughs> Chrissy G., formerly Chrissy M., recovered compulsive reader and anorexic from New Jersey. Um, I I used to, for a long time, I only saw saw this as a very black and white spiritual principle that it was either I was thinking I was thinking of others or I was thinking of myself. And and God God didn't really you know, I I, I didn't really understand what being God centered right. meant. And the way the way it looks, the way it like really presents itself in my thinking and how my thinking looks when when I'm in a mindset of being God centered of not not just thinking I have all the answers. That's a huge thing for me because I was so isolated in my own mind thinking that when when a a situation presented itself that I had to figure it out. You know, and it, it it could be trying to figure out how to help a loved one. It doesn't matter what it is. It, it could look on the surface very selfless, not about myself. It could be, it could look on other-centered. You know, how am I going to fix your problem? You know, on the surface could look very selfless. But for me, it it begins with, knowing that I'm not God, that I'm not the divine creator, I'm not the director. I mean, that's, that's where it, be, it begins for me. And then it, that thinking permeates my attitude towards other people because then it becomes about me being a follower of the creator and me being an agent, and that means that you are too. I don't know what your divine orders were for that day. You know, they might collide with mine. And just to know that if I get confused by that, like, wait a minute, you know, this is supposed to happen now and happen today, and this person's a roadblock. God, what's going on here? Something is wrong. Instead of having that attitude, it's sort of like being open to, oh, being open to what's, what's happening in front of me and knowing that, I don't know, like just living with that question, my sponsor says, I don't know, please God lead me. And it could change throughout the day. You know, I could have an agenda thinking that God gave me my marching orders in one direction and I could switch directions. But because I'm not self-centered anymore, I realize that I don't have all the answers. It's just a new way of living. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Chrissy M. or Chrissy G. And Nessa R., you're next. Hi, good morning. Vision for you. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, I, the time I'm ready to take step three, I probably have come to the realization that the way I've been doing things um, is not working for me at all. 
Um, in fact, the, the big book stops dealing or talking about alcohol, uh, or in my case, uh, food, in page 45. So it's not about the food. It's about the way I do things. It's the way I think and what my thoughts drive me to do. And so, you know, I've come to the realization that, you know, in the, in the blinded, obsessive, stubborn pursuit of what I wanted and what I thought I needed, I've actually gotten the opposite because I, ha- I don't know how to go about life. I don't know um, truly what the reality is. And, you know, I guess um, at, at some deeper level, ironically, um, I've always known this because I've, I've sought to change myself in so many different ways, you know, through different kinds of, uh, of therapy and self-help, uh, self-help uh, uh, books and all these other things. But the problem um, was still the same. The problem was me. Um, somebody is unmuted, and it's uh, quite distracting. Um, so if you could please mute, I, I, it would be great. Um, so the, the problem was always me. And I couldn't change me, and I tried. I tried. You know, uh, what it took was for someone else um, to do the to do the job. But you know, it took for me uh, going through the steps, according to the big book, to to get there. To get there. You know, I uh, if my thinking is lousy, my actions are lousy. And my, the results are lousy. My life is lousy. You know, like this is uh, um, a common theme in uh, Joe and Charlie's presentation of the big book. But if my thinking is right, then everything else follows. My actions are right and my life is right. So how can my lousy thinking turn my thinking into the right thinking? It just doesn't follow, you know. Uh, so this program of action shows me that I act myself into the right thinking. If I am taking step three, then I am ready to do anything, anything that is required of me um, in, order, in order to get better, in order to change. It's those actions that are going to alter my thinking. You know, those actions are going to propel me into practicing a different form of thinking that will displace the old, ineffective, counterproductive way of thinking. So in steps four to nine, I learn a new process of thinking. And in steps 10, 11, and 12, I practice those um, new learned skills until they become my second nature and a working part of the mind so that I can deal with life uh, and with life's challenges without having to compulsively overeat. And that has been the way um, it has worked out for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nessar. And I'd like to remind everybody to please be muted. It sounds like somebody might be eating an apple. Um, Sue G., you are next. Thank you. Good morning. I thought I'd try to redeem myself from yesterday. really got myself in a pickle, couldn't get out. Um, what really struck me in this paragraph for today is that how important God is in the picture. 
And um, I think there's no way I could be selfless or other-centered if it weren't for God. So once again, I'm in the wrong paragraph. Um, But I I couldn't I couldn't do that. Um, As as the book mentions, you know, it's almost you know God makes that possible. Excuse me one second, Suji. Somebody is talking in the background. If you could please check star one. We're we're hearing a conversation. I'm going to mute the line. Thank you. Okay, Suji, go ahead and unmute. Star one, Suji. For some reason, I thought I was still the only one that <laughs> didn't get no. muted. Okay. Um, you know, I can wish and I can try on my own, but I was never able to do that. Even being a church member, I still, uh, until just before vision um, that I came in and four months ago, that I just didn't understand selfishness. I figured it meant that I had to be what I considered what selfish was. And my sponsor explained it like selfishness is um, wanting the person to change or the situation to be different. Well, I certainly can relate to wanting the person, wanting the situation to be different. I wanted the situation different since the day I was married or since the day I had my baby nine months and three weeks later. Um and it never, the situation hasn't changed, but I've come to terms with it. That you know, that if I'm going to stay, then I have to learn to let God remove these character defects, especially the selfishness and the self-centeredness. Um, anyway, um, that's what I was trying to say partly yesterday. So we can't. Um, I have to have God's help. I, I can't, for me, it can't even be just higher power, some consciousness in the world up in the sky or some um, my sponsor or the group. For me personally, in my honest opinion, it has to be God and no one else. And uh, well, thank you, and I will pass. Thank you, Suji. And Rachel W., you're next. Good morning, Julie. Uh, this is Rachel W. Can you hear me okay? I know there's a lot of yes. muting. Huh? Yes, I can. Okay. Yes. Great. Thank you so much for your service. Um, it's good to hear you on the line. And good morning, everyone. This is Rachel Delby, a recovered compulsive overreader calling from New York. And um, when I first came into this program, I just wanted to lose weight. I thought it was all about the weight. And um, I had no idea it was going to require, you know, me to do a lot of uh, action and, uh, and that that action would be so transformative. And, um, and I known that I probably would have bolted, um, but here I am today, and it's just it's miraculous. Um, you know what I have what I have today is a whole new design for living that occurs when I put my life and my my will, you know, into the hands of of God. And um, talking about the selfishness and self-centeredness, the focus on self. I had a situation on Sunday 
where I was uh, I was faced with a lot of uh, extreme wealth, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I I was very happy for the person, and um and there were a couple things going on there, and um I, I came away from there realizing that there was a piece of me that had detached a little bit, and it had gone into jealousy, you know that um. Not, not that I want to live like them exactly, but it was it, the, you know, there was something about it that just triggered this thing in me of the not good enough and the lesser than. And, and I was a little bit frozen. Like I, I didn't reach out and do a 10 step right away. Um, I kind of held my emotion and I had just listened to the John K special edition from um, December, 2015, um, where he talks about the frog that that, um, you know, if the frog senses the water is hot, it, the scientists discover that, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll get out of, it'll run away. But if the frog is in water, that slowly the temperature increases, um, that frog experiences a very slow death. And um, it's been shared on the line here before that that's what this disease is, that it, it, it feels comfortable. It doesn't feel so bad. You know, when I was a size 12, 13, you know, 20, I didn't realize how big I was getting. Um, but for today, you know, um, I can I can lean into this process and later on that day I'll finish with this. I went to my daughter's house for my grandson's birthday and um and in front of her house she had a ceramic frog. <laughs> and it made me realize I never noticed it before and it made me realize that I hadn't brought it out of myself that what I was experiencing was called an emotional binge. And if I didn't get rid of that selfishness and self-centeredness of of, of that emotional binging, it was just one step more into the food because that's where we go. And um, yesterday, I am recovered. The food does not call to me because I'm working this process and because I'm aware of those binges. And I have to remember that I, I don't do this alone. I don't have to do this alone. Thank God for that and thank God for this program. Um, and thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rachel W. And is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Leah M. Hi, this is James. Leah M. James. James. J-L-T. Pardon me, can you say that again? J-L-T. J-L-T. Okay, we'll start with Leah M., James, and Gail. Thank you so much, uh, Julie. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And, you know, that is describing the disease and, you know, I remember uh, sitting in a locked-up facility, by the way, with someone who brought this text to life for me um, and, and showing me that this was directly correlated to um, my problem with uh, the bakery boxes and the cellophane bags, that this problem of self-sufficiency, um, my attitudes, my perception, my behavior um, was the root, the underlying uh, source, the origin, the core, the heart of the, of the issue. Food uh, and compulsive overeating was merely a symbol, a symptom of of the root of the issue. And, uh, you know, I remember them describing it. You know, Leah, look back through your life. All your life you've been selfish and self-centered. You've always thought whatever you wanted to think, made whatever decisions you wanted to make, and taken whatever actions you wanted to take, and look where it's gotten you. You know, with a plastic band around your wrist in a, in a locked facility. The end result of all that, all my thinking and deciding and doing whatever I wanted is that I almost destroyed my life and the lives of everybody around me. 
well, what if, what if there was a program of recovery that could direct what I was thinking, direct what I was, uh, my actions. And of course, if my thinking became better, then my actions would become better. And then my life and the lives of the people around me would become better too. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. The program of recovery showed me what tools I used to utilize in order to be a victim. The tools of self-delusion, self-seeking, selfishness, self-pity. The program of recovery introduced me to spiritual tools. Um, and I had to take ownership and responsibility. You know, I used to stir up a storm and then be upset when it would rain. <laughs> of course it would rain if I was stepping on other people's toes. And even if my motives were good, and at times, many times, my motives were good, but nonetheless, I was resistant to life. You know, I don't orchestrate the world. There is a higher power that's orchestrating the world, um, no matter whether I agree with it or not. And the program of recovery put all that in proper alignment for me. And hence, uh, the manifestations of self were going to kill me. The program of recovery restored all that to its proper position. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And, and James, I didn't hear your last initial. You're next. Good morning. This is James. Um, just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the idea of self. And for me, um, self has many hiding places and too many for me to count. Um, I, I know for me, in, in the way I thought prior to program and prior to the step process and analyzing this, and not necessarily that I figured it out, but I had to submit myself to what has been figured out in me where I have to raise my hand that it's me that's guilty. Um, yeah, I lived a life pretty much of comparing myself to other people, and that's not wise. But I got away with it seemingly up until, you know, up until the point I started um, compulsively behaving and acting crazy, making shipwreck of relationships, um, turning about, uh, never never being able to really keep a large commitment um, or a, a serious relationship. And, and it's, it's interesting because um, self is interesting in that uh, for me, I've always, because I compared myself to other people, I always thought that other people got a better hand in life. I mean, you know, I, I, got, I got dealt a hand of tens and the other people that I admire got queens, tens, and aces. And, and because of that, um, I've always tried to act like I had a better hand in life. And what I found out as a result of this program of relinquishing the self-appraisal, the self-analysis, the self-judgment, the self-condemning. What, I got, what I've learned in that is regardless of the hand that God dealt with me, it's a winning hand because God is with me. You see, you have, you have a winning hand because you rely on the power of God in your life to bring about this clarity, to bring about this deliverance. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm so appreciative of what has, what has been said thus far. It's not, a, it's not an issue of how you think your way out of this. It's an issue of how God works through your life to bring you to a place where you're finally clear. I will tell you that my life is totally different. Um, yeah, is a perfect no. Does it have to be? No. But what I am, I'm learning through every episode. And this constant, this constant contact that I have with God, in, in a sense that's better than it ever has been before, is bringing me to being a real student. Um, the relationship that I'm in now, my wife is, is recovered. We have one, We have a better relationship than we've had 
just prior to program, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that what two recovered people in the same house is like, it's not perfect, but I'll tell you that we work it out. And that's something that I'm not used to doing, and, and she may have a hand of jacks and I may have a hand of nines, but regardless, we still have winning hands because we're willing to work with each other. And because we've set aside the judgment, the opinions, and all the other things that, that would set us astray. And I, I just want to just, you know, just throw that little piece in just to say, you know, I thank God for this program. Thank God for, um, for who he is and who he is by the Spirit. Um, and uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, James. And, Gail, we'll have to uh, let you share at the second half of the meeting um, due to time. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second and recorded hour of the study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Mary K.W. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Linda R. is here. (laughs) Right, but we didn't get to Mary Kay yet as a reader. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. (laughs) Okay, thank you. This is Mary Kay, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Not Cured. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is still in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet us, some of us, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.